Last week, the Performing Arts Center showed the documentary Insanity, the Mental Health Crisis. The film is by Canadian documentary filmmaker Wendy Hill Tout. Wendy's brother, Bruce, who was schizophrenic, disappeared 25 years ago, and she weaves her poignant family story with the mental health crisis we're facing today. I moderated a panel after with Tara McKendrick, uh, Executive Director of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Aaron Clayton from Pastone Mental Health, and Steve Borisenko, whose son Jacob died of an accidental overdose two years ago. Steve's on the show today to talk about the film and his website, savemylife.ca. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm good, Janice. How are you? Thanks for uh, for coming on and, and talking to me. We're going to follow up on the um, quite thought-provoking movie we saw uh, recently called Insanity, the Mental Health Crisis. And you were on a panel uh, with me and uh, someone from CMHA Niagara and someone from Pastone Mental Health after the film to talk about what we saw there, which... Um, as I said in my introduction, the film was sort of mixed the poignant story of uh, the the um, Hill family who have not seen their son slash brother in 25 years. And he was schizophrenic with other families and then with the drug and homelessness crisis in Vancouver. What was your reaction to seeing the film? My 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 reaction was that. While I sympathize with these families, because I know what it's like to lose your child, um, at the same time, I can't blame the system for everything. There was a, it, there was a lot of system blaming. There was a lot of it's the system's fault. It's the system's fault. When I watched the families walk out and interact with homeless people while she was looking for her brother and showing pictures, I after after thinking about the movie for a little bit, I thought to myself, Shouldn't it start there? Like these people on the street that have mental illness and are addicted to drugs, we talk about getting rid of the stigma and we talk about losing the stigma around these people. And yet, when the actress, what's her, what was her name? Christine Booth, I think her name was. She, there was a point in the movie she, where she said she's walking down the street and she sees someone hitting themselves in the head and she still crosses the street. I was, I was very my, surprised by that. Given that her, too. yeah, given that her brother had a fairly severe level of, you know, he was living with a fairly severe level of uh, manic depression. Yeah, but that's pushing the stigma. Like I've started now. I did it before. My wife has done it always, but I did it before. Where when you see someone begging, when you see someone down on their luck, what these guys want is they want some dignity. They just say hi. Just go, hey, man, how are you today? If you got a loony, give them a loony. If you don't, then just have a conversation with them. And the smiles on their faces, I've particularly paid attention to it over the since I've seen that movie. And now every time I pull up to a stoplight or any time I'm walking down the street, I just give a, hey, man, how are you? And the smile that you get back yeah, absolutely. is incredible. And yet I stand there and I watch other people and they're just ignored. They just walk by, head down, don't don't talk to the boogeyman in the corner. Well, yeah, we can break a stigma. We can try to break a stigma all we, all we want. But until people actually start going, you know what? I'm just going to risk it and say, how are you? That's, I, I've watched. I've watched what happens. And the reaction on these guys, 
Now, I'm sure there's some dangerous ones out there. I'm sure there's situations where you shouldn't put yourself in. But just walking down the street, seeing somebody down on their luck and saying, how are you? You okay? Can I get you a coffee? Here's here's two bucks. I, I, I don't know. Every time I've done it, the look on their face, it's like you just made their week. And, that, and it took, what, 10 seconds? Yeah. So when I watched that movie and I saw her looking for her brother, I didn't see her sympathizing with people on the street. I saw her very much in her own head trying to figure out her own problems when it's been a 25-year problem for her, which I completely understand, and, it, and it's awful. But at what point do you go, it's not about me anymore, it's about all of them? So with Jacob, it was immediate for me. It was like I jumped right into it. Man, maybe I shouldn't have. I went a little crazy at it, and I'm just starting to grieve over him now is, is what I find. I had a little bit of a different take on the movie because I felt that, and and when we were talking on the panel, we said, let's not start with the problem. Let's talk about uh, where we're going from now. How do we go forward? Because I felt that uh, she showed what was happening in Vancouver with with people on the street. And I think that the, there was a sort of the, you know, the idea that you would connect her brother and his mental illness and the fact that he probably did live on the street. Uh, they don't know if he's alive anymore. It's been 25 years, but um, it, I found it interesting that she lived in Calgary and I know she was in Vancouver, I guess, when, when Bruce disappeared, but that it was focused on Vancouver. And we kind of already know a lot about Vancouver. Yep. And so it would have been a bit interesting to see a take um, on a different part of the, the country but I was to get back to the second part, what really struck me with you um, on stage is the first time we talked was about six months after Jacob died. And then we talked about a year after. So we, it was, I don't know, eight months ago, I think the last time we talked when SaveMyLife.ca was, was first launched. And to hear you on stage, I immediately was struck by this new place that you're at with with uh with jacob and jacob's death and it's interesting that you say you're just starting to grieve because you're definitely in that different place from totally numb the first time i spoke to you to the way you could uh talk about it so tell me where 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 are you in that in that process i still it still shakes me to the core i still I still cry a lot. Um, I don't have the, I still have a, a passion to make a change. Um, I'm a lot more, uh, I, I think a little bit more before I jump now. Uh, whereas before it was all reaction, it was all, and for the first little while you start to think I can fix this. And I know it sounds crazy and everybody out there is like, no, you, you just buried your son. How can you I'd like it? I, I saw him being cremated. How do how do you fix that? But up here, you're like, no, no, I can fix this. So the first year, I think, I was still convinced I could fix it. I was still convinced that there was. And then the second year was uh, I took a step back a lot from stuff. We still worked on SaveMyLife.ca. Took a step back, and then probably about. Three months ago, uh, I started therapy again, which helps a lot. Um, and it just, uh, we started to learn that I did it in reverse, kind of. I went manic and I jumped in and tried to fix everything. 
And then after a while, I, I just got so tired and so beat down that I backed away for a little bit. And then as I started to come back to it, I'm rejuvenated, but now the grieving is starting. Like now I'm sad a lot. Now I, it doesn't take much to bring me to tears. Uh, like right now. So it's a, but uh, um, anyone who's going through this, I know there's a lot, especially, and I know we talked about it at the back, especially boys. Therapy isn't a bad thing. I know a lot of boys and a lot of men are like, I'm not taking therapy. I'm not going to. Therapy probably saved my life. Just, just to have somebody nonpartisan to talk through it with and bounce ideas off of so you can get a better understanding of how. And non-judgmental, right? That's that's and very completely non-judgmental. Yeah. So it it it's been a it's a journey. It's going to be a journey for the rest of my life. Um, but I'm I'm in a I'm in a better spot now. But the grief is still it's heavy. It's just it's always going to be there. What I heard you talking about compared to you know even eight months ago was the the guilt that you're now feeling right? Like really intense guilt. So there was guilt yes. at first in, in not being able to prevent Jake's death, but the guilt that you're feeling now is, is really, really, really complex. And you're, I mean, you're kind of like understanding that, you know, maybe what Jake did wasn't, um, I don't know if the excusable is the right word, but you, you, you know what I'm getting to. Like you, you're really trying to take responsibility, but you're also giving, putting some responsibility on the way Jake was living. Absolutely. Because this to. wasn't you like a one night thing. No, this wasn't. It was Jake would, Jake would, he would turn to drugs when things got heavy for him. He would, he would self-medicate is what he would do. He um, because there were weeks and months where we would be fine and everything would be good. And I would know that because I would be urine testing him and nothing would come up and we'd be okay. And then something would happen and he would go back. And that's, that's what happened that he, we had a, we had a family thing happen and he, yeah, he went back to drugs and he went back doing it at the same rate that he had done previously. And he, can't do that because when you can you know after time you have a tolerance to it and he went immediately back to where he was when we were bad and yeah it, that that'll you'll lose your kids that way i did i don't know having never gone through this i do know that you uh, related to the toad hill family and in, in um, the fact yeah. that they hadn't seen bruce in 25 yeah. years and not it's, knowing, not knowing what happened and what you've gone through in knowing what happened and, and it's, knowing that you yeah. lost Jacob. It's one thing to have to have closure on on that side, even though at the time I probably didn't recognize it was closure. Eventually, my brain comes around and you recognize that, OK, we're not this. We're not. There is no hope. We Like it's there is no hope. To not have that as a parent and to constantly be wondering every day, where is he? Does he need me? What's happening to him? Who's got him? What, what, like, and as a, as a father, my instinct was always when we were having problems with Jacob, worst case scenario, 
you're always like, oh my God, he's in a drug den. He's like, blah, blah, blah. When the reality of it could be as easy as he's just washing his car. But right. in your head, you're always like, got to protect him, got to protect him. Evil men are after him. Like the, you go into father mode. So I can't imagine what being a father and losing your son or daughter after 25 years, the toll that would take on your mind. I, I can't believe he's still alive to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't. Well, they don't know, right? He may not be. That's, that's no, what I mean, they, his father. Oh, his father. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, 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 wow. and, and when you were saying, you know, in, in where is Jake and, and not knowing that they had, um, which is not uncommon with people who are living with schizophrenia, they had gone to a couple of different places that he had moved to. You know, so one yeah. of their thoughts was maybe he's in Florida because he liked Florida. But how do you how do you locate that person? We talked about some of the things that are out there now. So everybody recognizes that we have far too many opioid deaths in in the country. And Vancouver, of course, is is overwhelmed. But you can see that from from all of the tents and the, and the people who are homeless yeah. living rough, uh, we know that that um, people who are homeless, it either starts with a mental illness and they end up on the street and maybe they do or they don't use drugs or they have become addicted to some, some generally an opioid and um, they're on the street. And from being on the street, they develop a mental illness. So this always goes yeah. goes hand in hand. One of the things that we're talking about now, because again, it's hard to get people who are in that situation to a treatment center or to mental health uh, counseling, and we're not going to go into whether it exists or not, but, but just it's hard. Uh, yeah. Once people are living on the street, for example, for a while, they've developed a sense of community. And she talked about Wendy Hill Taupe talked about that and, and some of the people that she interviewed who are on working on the street with people in Vancouver talk about that sense of community and how hard it is for people to let go of that sense of community. But the other thing that we're looking at uh, and talking about is to, to try and reduce the number of opioids deaths. And, and Niagara has a very high I think we're number two in two or three in Ontario for the number of opioid deaths per year. So there's two things that I want to ask you about. One is naloxone. Uh, I absolutely, Jake had an overdose before he passed away and he was saved by naloxone. Um, I think in the immediate, oh my God, what do I do if everybody had a naloxone kit or every corner store carried naloxone or every it was a lot more accessible and people knew what it was and we talked about it a lot more i think you'd see a lot more lives saved having said that unless there's something to back up after you save their life they're going to be out on the street again and they're going to do it again so you're while you're saving their life and i completely wholeheartedly can't say how much naloxone means to do that I think there has to be some sort of, like, you got to back it up. It can't just be naloxone. That's just a Band-Aid. That's to get them through the night and to keep them alive. Then what do you do? <clears throat> and this really is the question that I think every region and every province is is looking at and going, what, 
because there is no overall solution. You can't just throw money at it. You can't just, what do you do? There's, there's so many homeless. There's so many people with mental problems. There's so many um, people addicted to drugs. How do you treat them all? Because we don't have enough doctors just to treat colds. How do we, how do you treat all of these people that don't necessarily even want treatment? And they feel included in their own little tent city community that is under the bridge. Now you're going to try and pull them out of that and say, no, that's bad. You, you don't go there. You don't belong there. You belong over here. Well, what are they going to say? They're going to go, no, I belong there because these people accept me. I think that comes back to my original point of dignity. If main society, if everybody in society could just start saying hello, just start building some sort of, you know, you're not a homeless person. You're Bob. a person. You're you're Joe, you're yeah. Dana, you're, I don't know what, I, like, you're not homeless and I want you to stay away from me. You're down on your luck and I want to help you. Just buy a hello, just buy, buy them a coffee, get them a sandwich, just have a talk with them for five minutes and, you know, make them feel like a human again, not like they're a beat dog in a backyard. So yeah. I think we need both. I think to answer the question, naloxone will save their life but society can make their life better. Yeah. And I want to say that uh, naloxone is Narcan. So sometimes people are a little yes. bit confused because they'll hear Narcan and they hear naloxone. And um, <clears throat> naloxone, I believe, is a, a brand name for, for Narcan. Um, and it's free. And it's free. Yes. And it's people free. can go and... Out. And as a as a citizen, you can go to a pharmacy and, and get a free naloxone kit and carry that naloxone kit. Now, not everybody is is okay and feeling safe with administering a naloxone kit if they think that somebody is in an overdose situation. So the other thing is, if you say hi to a person and they do not respond, and you either don't have a, a Narcan kit or you're not comfortable, then call nine one one. Let's try things that we haven't tried before. Because if we don't, more kids are going to die. And I don't think anyone is quite grasping that our kids are dying. There is no do-over. This isn't you lost your passport. This is you lost your son or daughter. Let's go to save my life. So again, if I go back to the first time I talked to you, you already had the ideas for savemylife.ca bubbling in your mind. And it has, and it is now um, a reality. And uh, it launched, I believe, before Christmas last year, twenty end of twenty twenty two. Yeah, it was October. Okay, so so tell me about SaveMyLife.ca. Um, how uh, how did it come about, and and what is it? How, how can how, when people access it? How's it going to help them? So, as a parent, when I was going through this. Uh, there's so many, it was, so Jake passed away and I reached out to Walter Sensick, who was a mayor at the time. And I said, Walter, this is what's happened. Um, and it was Talia Storm, Walter and I on a Zoom call. And Walter, um, I mean, what do you do, right? Here you have a, great, a freshly grieving father begging the mayor of a city to do something. Um, you want to talk about politicians that dug in. He absolutely, this is what I was talking about earlier. He went, okay, I don't know what to do, but here's what we did with a certain problem that we had a couple of years ago, and it moved the bar. So we're going to build a working group. Um, you're going to go on to an open network 
meeting and you're going to ask for everyone to join a working group, which I did. And so many people came out and supported it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And then we all brainstormed for a while and we talked about all the resources in the city and what's available. And, and to me, I was like, what are you talking about? What are you, there's, what are you talking about these beds? What is Kaysen? What is Pathstone? What is Ram? What is Raft? I, these are all foreign to me. And I realized that this city has got so many resources for so many people, but they are so clouded in red tape that you couldn't, I couldn't track down any of them. And I'm a tech guy. I'm not a stupid guy. I am a tech guy. But I just on my own, I couldn't get, I couldn't crack through it. I couldn't find it in the state of mind that I was in going through all that with Jake. I couldn't find it. So as we were talking, I was like, why isn't there a website that shows everything? Like, what, can't we build a website that brings pools everything together? And if it's easy, so that's where it was born. We got a media company. Um, we got some funding from the region and we went and designed SaveMyLife.ca where you just answer three simple questions in the beginning of it. And then it will take you to the resource that the region offers up. And they're all current, up to date. The phone numbers work. The emails work. Gives you a description. Um, yeah, it's it's nice and streamlined and simple. It's a great first step, I think. And so when you go to the site, people have probably seen the billboards, by the way, because there are billboards out there. So if you've seen the billboard, um, go and check out the website because it might be something that you need to help you. When you go in, you get to pick um, whether you are um, a parent, get caregiver, ally, and, and enter that way, or are you someone who is in personal crisis and you can enter that way? Yeah, so the, it, it'll ask you... It'll ask you if you're a family member or you're a user. It'll ask you if you're over 18 or under 18 because the resources in the in the region cater to that age. Um, and then it'll ask you if it's urgent or this is something that you're looking for ongoing care. And then it will take you to whatever you, however it fits you. And then you can go through and read through. It's very mobile friendly. Yeah, it was everything that we originally thought got got all the box got checked on that one all the boxes got checked it, it's been a great um we're not we're not done that's for sure uh but it's been a great first step and we've heard a lot of great feedback from it we're trying to get it into the schools for september so there's posters and media in the schools so kids can start using it and they can be more familiar with it and it's not such a it's a weird subject to talk about, right? Kids don't like talking about it with their parents. They don't want to think they're going to get right, in trouble. Right. Yeah. And this trouble. is anonymous. They can access anonymously. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Anonymous. Yeah. Yep. Always a pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much, Janice. Always a pleasure.